for a lot of people <laughs> possibly could have been a bit of a dream come true I, I lived out my thatched bungalow on the beach in Thailand dream I felt like I was uh, DiCaprio in the beach to be honest from the outside it, it definitely does look like you know you spend days on the beach and um, you're taking people to temples and you're, you're hiking volcanoes in Bali and you're going to look at dolphins and snorkeling with turtles and we take people out for dinner and drinks and that's great and that is the 10 to 20 percent that you see a group leader doing I came out, I gave it my all and um, yeah, they offered me the job, which is a, uh, an absolute dream job, um, which was group leading tours, groups of first time travelers, um, sometimes experienced travelers, but um, around Thailand. So starting in Bangkok down to Koh Sok National Park and ending on, on Koh Phangan. And then got to New Zealand and just immediately fell in love with it, probably even more than, than Australia. What a place, what a country, what a bunch of people out there. The Kiwis are probably the, the funniest people, the most welcoming people I've ever met. Yeah, I, we got chatting, I got chatting about my plans, I was like, I do this crazy thing, I think I want to go to Vietnam and buy a bike, I want to ride it up Vietnam. And I was kind of thinking, yeah, yeah, he's going to say you're crazy. He was like, all right, can I come? I was like, yeah, absolutely. Welcome to the Winging It Travel Podcast with me, James Hammond, where every Monday I'll be joined by guests to talk about their travel stories, travel tips, backpacking advice, and so much more. Right now, I'm taking the podcast on the road traveling with me. So tune in every week for short form episodes detailing all my travels alongside my Monday guest episode. Are you a backpacker, traveler, gap year student, or simply someone who loves to travel? Then this is the podcast for you. This is a casual, informative podcast designed for you to inspire you to travel. There'll be stories to tell, tips to share, and experiences to inspire. Welcome to the show. Let's get into the episode. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode where I'm joined by tour guide, super traveller, and author Mark Phipps. Mark has just released his book, One Way Ticket, in December, and we're going to talk about that said book, some travel philosophies, some travel stuff, and some travel conversations. Mark, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Oh, very well. Yeah, uh, fantastic. What an intro. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's awesome. Um, yeah, uh, fantastic. Thank you, mate. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. Not too bad. Did you like the author part of that as well? That's quite new. I right? did like that. Yeah, it feels, uh, yeah, it feels uh, yeah, like uh, imposter syndrome a little bit. I'm like, yeah, no, technically I am now. So that, yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, update the, the, the Instagram bio and make it real official. So yeah, it's, it sounds good. Nice. Okay. And tell the listeners where you right now in the world. I am currently uh, located on Koh Phangan, um, the beautiful tropical island in the south of Thailand. And I guess people would probably think, ah, oh, for Wimpai. That's generally what comes to mind. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. It's it's what, to be honest, really, yeah, what what drew a lot of people to Koh Phangan, I think, in in the first place. You know, started back in the uh, started back in the eighties, just a, a bunch of travelers down on the beach under the full moon, getting together and um, banging some drums and having a good time. And uh, yeah, word is word is spread, and now it's it's kind of what it what it is today. But um, yeah, hundred percent, like it's it's made the island what it is. But um, yeah, there's 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 a huge amount more to the island than than just the full moon party. But um, yeah, it's definitely what comes to mind for most people first. I was going to say, I think outside of that, it's worth visiting, isn't it? Because it's not just about the full moon party. There must be other stuff on the island that's quite charming. And maybe in a way, it's good for you if you live there because the full moon takes, you know, all the casual, normal partying stuff away. And then there's like the actual part of the culture in the island 
like everywhere else. It must be quite good to live there on that side. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when the you know the you, you get the crowds now, there people used to come for you know a few days before, three, four days before, or four or five days after after the full moon. But now it's really just yeah, the island gets busy only for three, four, maybe five days. It's a, it's mm. kind of a quick blast, and then the island kind of returns back to its kind of natural state, and it's it's a calm kind of peaceful place, and um yeah, wonderful little communities within the island as well yeah there's um there's yeah a, a, a lot more to the island than than just the full moon party um incredible beaches there's wonderful um viewpoints and hikes to do um you know it's uh it is drawing in a little bit more western influence now as well so it does make it a touch easier to, to live here you know like obviously i love being part of the asian culture but you you know now you can go get a, a pretty decent cup of coffee and and a, and a crack <laughs> And an amazing pizza, which, uh, yeah, is, wow. is very, very beneficial for me, which is nice. Yeah, man, it's, you got to get a pizza in from time to time and a nice cup of coffee. So, um, yeah, there are those like little home touches, but you don't want to be, you know, too many comforts at home. Of course, that's why that's why we moved away. That's why we're here. Exactly. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to go back to the island. Because I've not been in 10 years since the last went. I'm keen to see the difference. The one difference I saw from someone else was an island in Vietnam called Phu Quoc. I don't know if you've been there. Um, yeah. I, I went when the airport was just built in 2013, so we we're like one of the first travellers there, and the roads weren't even finished. But someone was telling yeah. me now that's all built up. There's like resorts and so much op like you know options to go for dinner and coffee and where to stay. And I found that quite, I guess, sad in a way. I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I've heard of Phukok. I've not actually been there, but I hear amazing things. It's right near the border of Cambodia. Um, yeah. Like um dotted out there but no i've never been i did just get back from vietnam a few weeks ago and um yeah i was hearing a little bit more about it i didn't really have time in my my travels to go over there and and go and see it yeah uh, an interesting place to go and explore sure okay we'll come to southeast asia a bit further on uh, in this conversation but first of all what yeah. to take a slight step back and growing up was travel on the cards i think we both had the same similar uh, experience growing up you know cancel estate in uk is normally comes with not much money uh, travels are very limited so was that this obviously the same for you and was there e even anything in your mind like traveling abroad when you're growing up yeah I mean I, I I definitely remember like yeah school school holidays would roll around and and yeah some of my mates were like yeah we're going to like Disneyland and they go into these like far away exotic places and I was like man that sounds pretty cool um and yeah they're like oh where are you off to I was like oh probably down to like Canberra Sands or something like that <laughs> yeah. camping and which I love man you know like I can really appreciate the basics of it and I, I still do love camping the holidays you know the family holidays when I was younger were a little bit closer to home so I definitely had like a little taste of like ah oh, you know i definitely want to see what else is out there yeah yeah it kind of came with those you know I, i'd never say struggles but yeah like the council estate kind of vibe going up and yeah never really went too far the odd trip to to france maybe do a little camping over there was was real cool and mm -hmm. um yeah i won like big big family holiday was uh when we went to egypt one time that was just a whole whole new world to me so definitely wet some appetite for for a bit of travel and just like kind of seeing what else is out there kind of thing and um yeah it was it was it was amazing yeah i i, I guess i didn't think too much about it and it was definitely never a uh, too much of a plan to like oh yeah i'll just i want to do loads of traveling it just kind of naturally happened i think and um yeah i, I kind of planned my one 
big trip to to Australia. Um, you know, did sixth form and mates were going off to university and stuff. And that's when I started thinking, you know, maybe I'll try and do a little bit of travel um, before I figure out what I want to do. Bit of a classic, find yourself before you uh, <laughs> set for life kind of thing. And it just kind of snowballed from there, to be honest. Okay. And whereabouts in the UK did you grow up? Uh, so I'm from Kent. Kent. Uh, okay, yeah. 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 The Garden of England. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm right in between sort of uh, Maidstone and Tunbridge Wells um, from West Walling, uh, just outside of Kings Hill, which a few people have heard of now. Um, it's sort of, yeah, sort of, um, um, yeah, they've got good access to London. So a lot of people that work in, in, in London now live in Kings Hill and stuff. But yeah, I loved it. Yeah. It's a small little council estate. Um, yeah, it was a little rough and ready, but uh, I loved it. And uh, yeah, grew up in the, pretty much the same house. I lived there till I was 19 until I moved away. Okay. And for people who maybe don't realize, but school is interesting, isn't it, in UK? Because I kind of talked to this about my friends, actually. Like, if you, if you don't like a sport like football, or arguably cricket depending on what type of school you go to it's yeah. actually and maybe music if you're a muse you might get some friends but outside of that you are a bit of an outcast sometimes aren't you in school because oh, it's yeah. dominated by those like one or two or three four subjects and that's it yeah oh 100 percent. yeah i um yeah i didn't grow up in like a, a football uh a football household like we never watched football no one really no one supported the team like i think granddad was kind of into like west ham and that that was about it to be honest yeah. so I never took an interest in it which probably led to like me never playing it as well mm. um yeah i was pretty left footed well like two left feet i suppose um <laughs> and I, I just had like no ball control i would dread um when when we'd have to do football in pe because naturally everyone else generally pretty good at it yeah. but it was it was never my cup of tea man like i sucked so bad um playing football i was just <laughs> and like i I'm okay at sports. Like I pick up other sports, but football was not my thing. Cricket really didn't have too much interest in. Um, even rugby, like I could play rugby, it was all right. But um, again, didn't didn't really love it. Didn't really grow up in too much of a sporting household. It's it is something that I've gotten into later in life. Um, sports, mm. living in Southeast Asia, which uh, yeah, I'm sure we can touch upon later as well. Um, but yeah, like if anything, yeah, maybe a little bit of rounders. I love swinging the bat and smack <laughs> the ball, and that that was maybe it. But um, um, yeah, my uh, my mum thought it would be a good idea for me to get into horse riding. So um, oh, wow. that's 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 about the the niche. About sport I got. Yeah, it was pretty niche. <laughs> um, but yeah, I can ride a horse, man. Yeah, I went horse riding uh, in, in Costa Rica a, a year or two back again, and it crops up from time to time. But um, yeah, where the boys were spending their uh, Sundays uh, doing playing football mm. and um, fun. Yeah, I was off uh, in in jobpers and riding around doing doing horse jumps and stuff like that. So a, a little bit different. Interesting. And then you said you've done sixth form and got through your A-levels. I remember school and then university was just the, the next thing. You get told to do that. That's probably what you should do next or get a job. It's one of the two options. Like The fact that some people went traveling. I remember one guy who'd done it and that's such an alien concept. I was like, what's he, what's he doing? Where's he going? Why is he doing that? Mm. But looking back, it's, it's so weird that you're kind of, I won't say brainwashed, but you're, you are taught that is the way to go next. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's yeah, yeah, AS levels, A levels. Um, and then like, right, start thinking about UCAS points and applying to yes. university. And, and like maybe, maybe, uh, you know, the crazy guy in school was going to take a bit of a gap year and do, you know, a little bit of traveling. He'd work for six, seven, eight months and then go smash out a few little places on the trip and um, and do that. But it was ne definitely never encouraged. And I don't really know anyone else that really did that. Mm. Um, so you, you kind of are sort of 
filtered through the system a little bit, I guess, and told mm. like, yeah, this is what you probably should do. Cause you know, I'm not saying that it's, it's a bad choice to, you know, go and follow your, your universities and your studies. And I think I, I was kind of blessed with um, some indecision, which at the time I thought, yeah, was holding me back. you know, everyone seemed to have a path and a direction. Like, so, mm. like I'm going, do dance i know i'm gonna go and, and do um you know the study to be an accountant and everyone kind of knew what they wanted to do and i was like i don't know if i'm ready to commit to a course of three or four years to then find out halfway through or at the end that like this isn't what i want to be doing with my time <laughs> so um yeah for me it was a bit of a no-brainer to just kind of def to defer that until i until i really did kind of figure out which direction I wanted to go in but um yeah I kind of just came to that conclusion on my own it was never like a encourage you know your teachers aren't telling you to, to go away and, and do some travel they're they're, they're no. actually bit down more of a, an academic path it's interesting because I reckon teachers have done a bit of travel you know back in the day and I I do yeah. you know looking back I've not thought about this but like looking back I reckon a lot of my teachers did do a bit of travel but they never once said yeah go and do it now it's all yeah. university based yeah I'm not sure I'd make a good teacher because I'd be like yeah let's just don't even worry about it <laughs> listen, <laughs> listen this is what you want to do <laughs> just get a job save some money off you pop you can you can make it work yeah i'll just be encouraging all the kids to, to not worry too much about the grades just like ah, i did fine imagine you're that career guy that, that career person that's in school that tells you where to go and what to do and you're like no oh, yeah. just don't do it mate just go just go, just yeah. go away <laughs> yeah, yeah that's a strong, strongly worded letter from parents just like why are you telling my why are you telling my kid not to worry about trap to uh, worry about his studies and things will work themselves out so um but you know i think that we, we maybe should uh look down that path a little bit more and realize that you know not everything is 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 all based in these these letters that you basically get given if you get an a or a b or a c mm. um in in your grades it, not everything revolves around that you know like there's other paths in life that you can do it doesn't all have to be an academic route yeah and i think you'll find a way to get to what you think you should do next i mean it took me unfortunately i had a deferred year wasted it just worked part-time at next if you know the clothing store and just didn't do anything really and then mm. went and done something I wanted to do at the time which is music and then halfway through that four years I was like nah I just want to travel but I had to kind of finish it really because I committed at that point For but sure. that, yeah. that already is five years I mean from the third year to end of that degree uh, and that's like 23 I'm off gotta go but you were 18 off so what was your thinking in terms of planning for your first trip slim to none um okay. yeah what <laughs> to this day um yeah it, it I, I i i kind of freestyle stuff a little bit yeah. um yeah i done a little bit of research um i think i did hear about a guy that was in my school that did go to australia um and he went and he he had this um working holiday visa and i was like oh wow okay what's that kind of looked into it and obviously realized that you know you could go out and and live and work in australia for a year um and then but i remember him you know, going off, saying goodbye to people. And he was back like two, three months later. So I was like, oh. okay, yeah. Like, it's obviously not, not, not as easy as it sounds kind of thing. And you mm. don't just, you know, um, and yeah, and he was back just sort of doing the same thing, but it, I think that's what instilled it in my head. So um, yeah, that combined with all the family holidays as a kid being so what is um what is the furthest place I can go to? Where can I really go and get some some proper independence, really be on my own? Where don't I know anybody? Um, and let's just really throw myself in the deep end. So yeah, I remember um trying to organize a trip with a buddy of mine. 
saying yeah let's let's do some traveling let, let's do it um and yeah as things happen things get in the way commitments uh, are never fully committed to but you know i kind of kept yeah. going and was like all right well, i'm just gonna plug away at my job um yeah i was just um yeah rocking shifts at toys r us um <laughs> trying to do everything i can man i remember being sat um in this blue fluffy jumper staring at the clock and i'd just be sitting there working out like all right how much money have I earned this week and that's going to run to the total and then okay I'll probably spend this much on petrol so I'm going to have this and then just figuring out how much time I needed because mm. I knew I needed I think to get to enter Australia on a work holiday visa you needed a thousand pounds yeah in your bank which which to me at the time really was quite a lot of money um you know as I said yeah, I was 18 19 so I was still trying to juggle uh, that kind of lifestyle of going out with my friends and, and going out for beers at the weekend. So probably wasn't the best saver at the time either, but I was really just trying to get to this goal combined with like the flights over there, which were pretty pricey, trying to get the money together, really. Um, I didn't plan too much. It's probably one of the only times in my travels where I did um, I did contact a, a company that um, they helped me with the initial first week of the work holiday visa. Um, so that it was kind of like a bit of a support package. They helped me arrange my TFN, so the tax file number when you get to Australia. Um, they give you the first, first week's accommodation, kind of like a city orientation, and then and some help finding a job pretty much and then mm. they put you in contact with a few other people that are arriving about the same time so yeah to me at the time that felt like cool yeah that's sweet i got a bit of support there if i need it and um yeah that that was it kind of flew booked my flight flew into to sydney seemed like a good enough place to start to me and um yeah that that was kind of it i remember telling my mom that yeah this is happening and she gave me the oh yeah okay and just kind of yeah didn't take it seriously <laughs> as the date kind of rolled around and I remember coming back saying I booked my flight she was like oh this is happening um yeah the buddy of mine that was supposed to come ended up kind of dropping out I was like yeah I'm just yeah just gonna keep going and, and crack on with it so off we went wow so if anyone's listening right now a couple of lessons there really is one don't rely on people because I think we've all been there where maybe a friend would say they come with you and end up don't uh, for various reasons I mean some are some are great some are not but I think the key point there is if you are relying on a friend, try not to, because if you on your own, it's still worth going and taking that leap. I think that's the big lesson there, isn't it? I think. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Um, and yeah, sometimes it does just take, you know, it's of course nice to go with friends and um, to experience those things together as well. You know, you're from the same place back home. You can take those memories back with you if you you go back um but yeah you should never let it deter you from not going you know you someone's mm. got to be the first one to commit and just by doing it um and plowing on um yeah honestly it's it's one of the best things i did probably doing it on my own in, in the first place standing on your own two feet and just being like yeah I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and do this so um yeah don't be afraid to 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 plan things on your own absolutely and sydney must have been a bit of a shock in terms of how big that city is uh, it's huge and it's obviously quite iconic with the opera house and stuff like that. How did you find settling in there? Yeah, I I, I love Sydney. Like I, I really did take to it to quite easily. You know, Australia is a beautiful place to start for anyone yeah. that is thinking about, um, you know, a bit, a bit of long term travel because obviously they, they speak English just with a much cooler accent than what we have. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's it's kind of a nice transition. Granted not the cheapest places to start so yeah going there finding a little bit of work pretty much straight away um was kind of like top of my 
to-do list, to be honest. Um, yeah, I didn't really go, you know, a thousand pounds isn't really going to get you a lot in Australia to go and travel the coast, which is obviously one of the highlights for people to do. So yeah, I made friends fairly quickly. The first day was, oh my God, this is happening. Like I'm here the other side of the world. Um, and this is um, about 12, 13 years ago. So yeah, I, I didn't have a smartphone. I had, I had a little Nokia yeah that um you know we don't have the the communication that that we that we do now so it, it was a lot more isolating getting there and, and not having the comfort of just oh i'll just jump on some wi-fi and, and jump on whatsapp and call back home or, or facetime it was like i'm pretty sure i'd agreed to like call my mum maybe the week like the following sunday that i arranged that i got there at a certain time so yeah you you did feel like alone i remember walking into my first hostel room and um kind of opening the door and there were people in there. I was like, oh my God, this is my bedroom that I'm sharing with strangers. Yeah. <laughs> just kind of walking in. I'm pretty sure I just like threw my bag down and just left again. Um, yeah, I was pretty, you know, fairly outgoing person at the time, but um, nowhere near to, to where, where I would be now. But yeah, I was, I was nervous. I was a little shy. I was probably jet lagged and I didn't mm. really know what to do with myself. So I just kind of threw my bags in and, and off I went into the city to figure out what to do for the next 12 months of my life yeah it's a daunting start isn't it my first experience of the hostel was bangkok so that's like non-english oh, wow. speaking smell people in the room sweaty people trying to scam you as a real big learning curve first two or three days yeah. but if you stick with it you will get through it and then you start to learn the customs of the place that you're in um for australia yeah. i remember like because i ran out of money talk about smartphones no smartphones when i was first there in 2013 i didn't have a smartphone yeah, someone gave me an actual phone number and I had to like ring from a call box. Yeah. You know, put, the, put the coins in and then ring for this job. And they just said, yeah, come come in a few days and you can start a job here. I was like, wow. Um, yeah, but I guess nowadays it's slightly easier if you get Wi-Fi. You can just maybe search for jobs and, and see what's about. Yeah, line things up before you get there almost. To a, oh, to a all that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's a few ways of going about it now. And in your book, One My Ticket, I think chapter two, you start to talk about your experiences of Australia and that work visa year and the struggle maybe to kind of have mix that between sort of going out with your friends or your new friends in a hostel life and also trying to save money and trying to get your extra extension for the next year if you like you want to go back to Australia how was yeah. that finding that like regional work for you it was uh yeah the first year was it was a tricky year it was definitely a learning curve um you know i definitely have no regrets in my travels and the way i did things but um it, it wasn't the well well the best way to spend my first year um yeah getting to australia constantly you know I, I was still yeah enjoying the sense of freedom i was young and enjoyed going out socializing yeah going out having beers with the hostel crew and um just enjoying this new sense of freedom so savings were fluctuating they were up and down up and down and before i knew it um yeah days rolled into weeks and weeks into months and I was kind of still in Sydney um hanging around I took little day trips here and there but um I started to realize that okay maybe I'm not going to get as much done in this first year as what I wanted to do and kind of yeah you spend time in the hostel when everyone is talking about like this elusive second year visa that you can get. <laughs> yeah Hang on a minute, I can do this for another year. Like that sounds pretty cool. So how do I go about doing that? Um, so at the time, yeah, you had to do uh, uh, three months or eighty-eight days of regional farm work. Which, um, yeah, yeah, obviously, uh, who's in the name? You're generally yeah out outside of a city, and um, yeah, not the most glamorous of jobs to go and do. 
And yeah, I'd spent a lot of time on the East Coast. So I decided, yeah, I wanted to leave the East Coast and I flew over to Perth. So um, yeah, scrimped some savings, savings together and flew over to Perth. And um, off I went, left uh, a lot of my friends over there. They'd gone off to do their East Coast trip. They'd been much mm. better at saving than me. Um, and I went to Perth to try and find some some regional work. So yeah, I heard there was a bit of um, bit of work over there, but um, it didn't work out particularly well for me with with timings uh, as things happen. And it was one particularly bad year in Queensland. So yeah, in the the northeast of Australia, where there was particularly bad flooding. So a lot of the crops were wiped out, and a lot of the backpackers that were normally there looking for work everyone just migrated west so it was right. overrun with people looking for work and i was there like pretty mid-season so um yeah there was there was, there was a lot of competition so yeah i was starting to feel starting to feel the stress starting to feel the strain of hey man i'm i'm running out of money and i was just getting flashbacks of that guy that went to australia and only made it a couple of months and i'm like yeah. that's gonna be me um you know i started having this this little nightmare that apparently is quite a uh, a common occurrence of of people wake up and they've gone home and they were dreading it so much and i think it was more like i just didn't want to fail at this thing that i loved so badly um so that was my driving force every day to wake up be the first one at the job center asking where the jobs are um literally doing you know I would have done anything. I really did pretty much do everything to, to try and get these days of working, man. Like 88 days of work can seem like a long time when you're you're desperately trying to claim this reward at the end of it. Yeah, because in your book, you said you went to Margaret River, which is where I'd done, well, I tried to do my regional work. But I was there at the start of the season and even at, towards the end of the season, I couldn't get enough days. Yeah. Um, I think the problem that I had, which is a bit different to you, you're like fully committed to getting that 88 days, which... I wish I could have done because the problem I had, I committed to a trip after Australia. So I had this weighing up process, like, do I try and make minimal money, but tick off the days or do I sack that off and go and get like a proper job? So I have mm -hmm. money for my trip in South America, which would have been the world cup. And I was like, I had to make, I had to make a choice. So I, I ditched the Australia dream and it's go to South America. Cause that was slightly bigger at the time. But I don't know if you remember, did you hear rumors at that time that you could lie about how many days you've, you've worked and get like a second year oh yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> did that cross your mind uh well yes um i was ever so slightly guilty of it myself um to a certain extent because yes we did um the farm work you know i was picking grapes down in margaret river yeah and we did as much as we could i think we probably got like a third or maybe halfway through the trip and then it was like okay well that's that's it you know they, they picked all the grapes for the season and the work dried up um so yeah you you end up hearing um you know a friend of a friend of a friend that's that's found work and potentially there's a job going here so you check in around in the region and try and get the numbers up but yeah i was with a group of five other people and um some days there's only work for three of you so it's kind yeah. of like all right who's getting the work today and um the other people were kind of sat around with no money hanging around and you're in a beautiful place you're on the beach it's it's amazing but you kind of feel this slipping away from you you know if you've only got a hundred days left on your visa and you need to work another 40 50 of them it's it's a race against time basically yeah. so yeah, yeah it's 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 real the stress is real it's a bit of pressure there to try and get the um try and get the days in and um ultimately yeah we took a we took a pretty hefty hefty risk and literally we heard from a friend of a friend that someone had met on the east coast who'd shared a hostel room with someone or whatever it was about <laughs> about some work going in Bundaberg um 
which is on the east coast of um of australia so i mean if you look at a map of australia they're they're pretty opposite places (laughs) ended up just being the three of us in in the end a few of the guys did get their days and we're like look what are we going to do we are we have got to risk it we can pull our money together we probably got enough fuel to uh to get us over to bundaberg in um in a buddy of mine's the 1980s uh nissan camper van who, uh, which was a manual, uh, manual, like proper, like stick shift. And one of the guys I was with was Canadian, so doesn't drive it. So it's really just me and this other lad that we were like, all right, I guess we're going to do it. So on a whim, yeah, we drove to Bundaberg and it took us about five days of driving. 12 hours a day and um just desperately trying to get there because we'd heard rumors of there being some work and in your book you obviously go into detail about that trip and there's like certain stories that relate to that trip which is quite cool and quite funny to read uh, so i'd implore people to read uh, obviously mark's book but obviously that chapter as well and then you did get enough days in the end or you got signed off should we say in, in the end we did yeah so we um yeah ended up getting work on a on a tomato farm and uh yeah boss man boss man steve was uh yeah absolute legend and was like look you guys have been cracking on hard like you, you've absolutely killed it um and work was starting to slow down but he's like look i'm happy to vouch for you um yeah i was only like maybe a week or two short of what i needed but he's mm. like yeah man it, it's all good um no dramas like here's here's all the paperwork you need we had all the pay slips and um yeah pretty much we we were good to go but i think if anyone really did do a deep dive into it we may have been a few days shy here or there um but then yeah that's where you hear about kind of these rumors of oh well if you have a british passport they only check one in four one so in four they're, they're yeah that's a classic one i heard <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's like no one has I'll no take one it. knows if this is true and, <laughs> yeah and, just heard it through someone in the hostel again You're like oh, okay well yeah he seems to know what he's talking about so we'll, we'll take those odds that sounds all right that was every day yeah only one and four check and i was like oh okay i'll take the odds um yeah <laughs> it's so true like that it is friends of a friend like and people might laugh and say oh that doesn't work but i i did get a job which didn't count unfortunately to my days but i did get a job uh on the mine sites working in the kitchens right real real tough job but it was through a friend of a friend of a friend who got me a contact and agency. Yeah. I passed the medical and you, you do, if you, if you're willing to do it and you've got the ambition and the drive to get money and to go and work a job that maybe is quite difficult, you can go and do it. Um, oh yeah. But if you want to risk it and just accept that if you get investigated and it's a no, then you can take not being Australia for a second year. That's also not a bad option either. I think. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think nowadays, um, I think they, they it's a little bit easier now. I think they're they're signing a trade agreement due to be signed. Yeah, almost any day, really. It's been agreed. They're just waiting for the paperwork to be signed, and I think uh, you're getting like two, three years off the bat. Um, yeah. no fun work required, which is uh, yeah, I'm not bitter about at all. Um, <laughs> my day spent in forty degree heat planting and picking tomatoes is yeah no that's fine man that's cool thanks a lot <laughs> i feel i feel like we've earned our australia sort of good times i think because they were they were yeah. tough jobs like they are really yeah absolutely yeah, yeah minimal like badly paid jobs yeah they don't pay particularly well like something yeah, in the mines and stuff sure that pays well but yeah just your, your entry level stuff is pretty backbreaking work but hey man who's gonna do it these backpackers that want to stay in australia and i was happy to do it yeah, I remember like on my second shift at the at the mines in the kitchens, the um the authorities like, right, no more backpackers. We just want to employ actual Australians to do the work and stop paying agency fees for us. And we had five people in, and I was I was like, well, I need to work this like second shift because I need the second lot of money to go to South America with. And mate Seth, who was like in charge because he was a local, said, yeah, I've got to choose one out of out of four of you to stay. I can only keep one. 
was like, oh, fuck, I need it. And I didn't know what yeah. he was going to choose until the next morning when the, the management announced, well, four of you or three of you got to leave. And they, on the spot, asked Seth, you know, who's staying? And he said, oh, James. And I was like, fuck, that's, that's a bit of luck, a bit of relief. The other three were yeah. gutted and devastated. But those sort of things do work well, in your favour sometimes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I said to him, why me? He went, oh, bros before hoes. I was like, oh, okay. That was it. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, cool. At least he's honest. At least he's honest. <laughs> Just because I got on with him. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, um, I haven't help. really spoken to him since, but I think if we caught up, they'd be quite a good laugh. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, you've got to make some connections. <laughs> so you got your second year, and I think in the book you start to go on to your other travels that you were starting to experience, not just Australia, but you're hearing rumours of a place called Southeast Asia. Uh, my story with that is that I was travelling with a friend, and he said, oh, I want to go to Asia. And I was like, oh, well, where is that? Uh, so he convinced me to go for three months, and I loved it. So... That was next on your cars, sort of like around the second year of Australia. So how did you find going to Southeast Asia and what did you learn mostly from that trip? That one was to, to really not commit to making too many plans. I think that mm. trip that I took, which was, you ended up probably being around about three months, yeah. um, was, and yeah, I kind of went in with a bit more of an idea, you know, I felt like a bit more of a, a seasoned backpacker. I've done a little bit of traveling at this point. So, um, but yeah, Southeast Asia felt like a, a whole different game, a whole different level of sort of traveling, you know, um, constantly on the move. Um, yeah, as you kind of mentioned, you hear the stories, people trying to scam you and is it potentially like a bit more of a dangerous place and big cities and things like that. So really just kind of free, trying to freestyle your trip and not making too many plans because Southeast Asia is one of those wonderful places where um, you can you can go um, on a day trip or um, meet someone out at a restaurant or, or having beers and get chatting to them. And they've just come from this incredible place, wherever it is. And you're like, well, hang on a minute, where's that? Yeah. Um, and, and this is pre your TikTok and pre your Instagram, where mm. I'd learned all the cool things to do through word of mouth and meeting other people. I really wasn't a a lonely planet tour guide kind of traveler. Um, you know, I'd look up a cool few uh, few cool things that I wanted to do, but the majority of the things I'd learn and the things that I'd already had kind of on my like kind of list to do, I'd learned from everyone in Australia. Yeah, just kind of um, yeah, meeting people and plans change on a whim. So just kind of going with the flow really is is what I learned from that that trip in Southeast Asia. Things uh, things never often go to plan things get in the way um yeah fairies are missed and um illnesses are had so you end up changing plans and staying in bed or whatever it may be and um or yeah you hear of something cool so you just sack off your plans completely and, and head the complete opposite direction or um you meet a cute girl and you follow her around for a couple of days and <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah, where you're going yeah i was gonna go there next as well absolutely <laughs> I think I found that with groups as well. Like you just meet groups of people, or you co or you come together in hostels and you you sort of form a group. Uh, we definitely yeah. did do that, like group travel that we met out there, not like before that. So yeah. that was pretty cool. And yeah, you sort of say, yeah, we're sort of going in that direction. But you're totally right. Before the smartphone era, we were just hearing, oh, you got to go food quark, have we? Oh, never heard of it. Okay, well, we'll mm. see if we book a flight, and you go to maybe like the hostel, say, oh, can we book this flight because you haven't got a smartphone to book it on, and it really was like great days to travel, I think, in those sort of like times. 
Yeah, it was unreal. Yeah, it's like, yeah, how how did you do it? Um, yeah, hostel recommendations were from where other people have stayed. You've got yep. maybe a choice of one or two because, um, yeah, I wasn't looking things up. I was like, where did you stay? Did you like it? And, yeah, it could be – and, you know, it's always based on their experience there. It could be an awful place, but they've had a great time, and that's what's made the hostel good. So sometimes you get there and you're like, oh, this place is awful, but they've had a good time there and they've met a good group of people, so they have different experiences. And, um, yeah, not based on reviews and stuff like that, but the whole word of mouth travel is, is an incredible thing um especially you know you get somewhere a few days after someone's left you know if they go in south you'll go in north and you get up to the hostel they stayed in and you're like oh yeah no i met steve down in uh in <laughs> yeah i know him as well they got friends still there so yeah it's it's a really cool way and a really communal way of traveling and what was like maybe a tip that someone gave you and you arrived at, wow what an amazing tip that is to go and see can you remember like one or two places in southeast asia that you thought oh wow yeah top notch i think yeah for me at the time i think my i think my brother at this point had been traveling and he'd beat me to southeast asia and he told me about um he told me about kotal which is obviously oh, pretty yeah. popular pretty famous now but yeah not something i'd known about at the time and he was like hey man look um you got to go you got to get your diving certificate um it's definitely a really cool thing to go do it's super cheap it's a beautiful island um so we're like okay yeah sweet sounds good so um yeah i went down did my diving uh open water diving certification in in Kotal, and that's where I kind of met my first kind of group of people that we ended up doing a little bit of traveling with from there as well. So, um, yeah, that was a pretty, pretty awesome place to go and check out now. Um, yeah, pretty well known now, but at the time for me, not something I particularly particularly heard of yeah we we stuck kind of yeah, that, that didn't do too much off the beaten track traveling. Um, that time, I guess, other than possibly, um, yeah, taking the uh, I took a, a slow boat from Chiang Rai um, over oh, into Lao, no, and that's how yeah. we got to Bang Vieng, and that was a pretty awesome experience that I'm not even sure people um, do at the moment. We don't hear about it too much anymore, but yeah, it took like um, almost two days on a slow boat with, um, yeah, really just just local families and stuff, which was pretty incredible, and yeah, that was a pretty awesome experience that was just a tip from someone and, and a good way to get over into Lao. Was that the tubing at the time? Yeah, so this was at kind of like the back end of, of when tubing was kind of fizzling mm. out a little yeah my, my my brother had been there in like peak tubing and it told me about the absolute just carnage that it the was. stories on that <laughs> oh man like yeah yeah absolutely unreal like um yeah yeah just um yeah floating down a river with a load of bars and um a load of backpackers that are throwing their inhibitions to the wind is a potential recipe for disaster so yeah <laughs> what happened when we you know all these rumors you do hear from people on the same route yeah we got told probably around middle of Vietnam that you can't actually go and do tubing because it had actually been cancelled because someone did die and it was a minister's daughter or something like that. And they, yeah. <laughs> it, it's always that, isn't it? <laughs> it was exactly that. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, that's why they finally stepped in because it was like, yeah, someone, some ambassador <laughs> in Australia or something was died. So <laughs> but all the backpackers before then who maybe died, don't worry about that. But because it's someone's minister's daughter, they, they, they called it that's off. The so final straw, yeah. Yeah, we couldn't do it, unfortunately. Um, so we didn't make it to Vietnam, but we went to Laos, and that's pretty cool too. Um, yeah. Was that before your second year in Australia? Yeah. So this was. Um, so I did the first year. I did um because I'd already had return flights booked booked home. I figured I was just going to do my year. So yeah, yeah, I took the flight home, saw some friends and family, and then just started the whole saving process again. Yeah. Um, came back to Southeast Asia, and it was um on my way to Australia to do the second year where where I touched down in Southeast Asia. And was your second year a bit more stress free because? There's no pressure for you to get another year. So you're just going to try and make some money, see the country and just kind of enjoy it a bit more, I suppose. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'd gone through my my phase of like really just going out and wanting to get pissed the whole time. Yeah, it was a learning curve. I, I wouldn't change it, but um, yeah, definitely could have done more with that that first year visa. But it is what it is. So and 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 of course, I'd come through Southeast Asia, so I did a fair amount of sort of like yeah, the socializing, partying lifestyle in Southeast Asia. So yeah, touching down into uh, Darwin. Uh, I flew into. I got a, a really cheap flight from Bali, and uh, yeah, touched down in Darwin with uh, yeah, next to no money uh, as usual, and um, <laughs> kind of started the whole process again. Yeah, I was just begging that they wouldn't ask me to see my uh, my bank balance because it was uh, very minimal. I still had a couple of friends that happened to be in Darwin at the time, so kind of caught up with them, and we were originally uh, I was originally uh, yeah going to look for for work there, but then I was kind of like, all right kind of got sucked back into the safety of Sydney again. I knew I could find work. It was somewhere familiar to me. So I went back to Sydney again for a couple of months, but uh, dipped in and dipped out, made some money. And then, um, yeah, did finally did some some proper Australia traveling. And proper Australia traveling is the classic East Coast trail of, I guess, Whitsundays, Fraser Islands, uh, Nimbin, Cairns as well, and the Great Barrier Reef. So I guess yeah. you saw all those amazing things on the East Coast. Yeah, yeah. So I, um, yeah, I was working in, uh, yeah, working in Sydney. Um, yeah, I, I did. Um, yeah, I was working in a bar down on Darling Harbour, nice little cocktail bar, making pretty decent money, saving. Um, I ended up having, uh, yeah, some friends that I had in town, and I actually had a couple of friends come over and visit from the UK. They were coming over for a month, so I was like, promised them, like, we're gonna do the East Coast, all good but we have to buy a van. Like I want to buy a van. Yeah. I'm, I'm very much, a, I love a good road trip. I love to drive. Yeah, I love it. Being able to see something and being able to pull over or just be like, right, that's enough for today. And having that freedom, I've definitely always been about that. So yeah, we sunk our money into a van, loaded all our stuff up into it and just started driving north. And yeah, it took, um, yeah, it was a little quicker than we normally, than probably most people would have liked to have done it. Probably, I think it took about five or six weeks altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just kind of like hopping up the hopping up the coast. We uh, yeah, we bought a really cheap van, of course, which uh, naturally broke down within about a week of traveling up the coast. Yeah, head gasket went. Um, um, and not, that, that not, was nightmare. Cool. <laughs> Nothing so worse. That was, yeah, that was a, a good chunk of budget blown there as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, thankfully we'd had kind of our trip paid for. We did go to like a a bit of a backpacker travel agency and and hustled for a pretty good deal on the you know the the main kind of thing that most people like to do when they go to um, the east coast of Australia, which is going to be your Fraser Island, the Whit Sundays, um, some scuba diving now that I was a qualified diver yeah. Yeah. Um, in Cairns as well. Um, yeah, they were the, the main three that we really wanted to do. And then just like the little day trips there in between. But a lot of the time it was really just about the experience. Yeah, just doing a little bit of camping, pulling over in the um, in the free camp spots, cooking barbecues and, and just having a good time meeting people up the coast, which was uh, phenomenal. Yeah, East Coast Australia trip is, is is definitely one that someone should, everyone should experience at some point. Yeah, as I could ask on reflection of Australia, if someone's listening right now and a bit younger and get work visa, you you'd obviously recommend doing one or two years in Australia and sort of planning work and then seeing the country because it isn't cheap. So you have to work unless you have loads of money before and mm. try and make it like a nice two year trip if you can, seeing all those sites in Australia because it is big as well. It's going to take time, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, you know, I found that there was maybe one or two ways to do it. Some people yeah. were doing it 
the way that I did, which was base myself somewhere for a while. Um, yeah, get a little bit settled. Um, obviously, you get it's a really nice way to experience something in depth to really feel like you've lived there and kind of live um, like a Sydney side or a Melbourne or wherever you want to start um, your, your travels there. And then take one epic trip up the East Coast or whichever way you want to go. And then just be like, right, that's it. I've done my work. Now's the time to enjoy. Um, so a lot of people I found did it that way. But there's also another way of doing it that um, potentially a little bit more work but where you you kind of hop your way up and you find little bits of work here there and everywhere okay. and you get mm. a little bit of taste from every place like a few weeks in each place um obviously yeah a lot more work you're looking for um short-term work and a bit more cash in hand stuff or wh whatever it may be and um yeah you might rock up to a place and there isn't any work so you keep moving on to the next one but um yeah definitely different styles of traveling to suit however you want to do it yeah it's interesting because you mentioned in your book about you went to the ashes as well i think on the first year uh, I was there as well in 2010-11. That's my first abroad trip ever. And that's what inspired okay. me to go traveling later. And I remember speaking Amazing. to a guy at the Perth Test Match. And he's like, yeah, yeah, my, my dad's from Leeds. And we emigrated over here. I'll, ne I'll never go and live in Leeds. I'm staying in Perth. And I said to him, like, any advice? Just for Australia? He goes, yeah, get a work permit. Buy a car for 600 bucks. Drive and go and see it. I was like, oh, that's all he said. <laughs> then back to the cricket. And I thought it was great advice. Like, you just need to buy a fairly cheap car. Getting around Australia without a car is quite difficult. Um, so I would highly recommend just a camper van or a car and just go and see it on the open road and see if you can get all around it because it is an amazing place. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful places to to yeah pull over at night. You're going to have, um, yeah, meet some wonderful people doing the same thing and sharing tips, doing it that way as well. Um, yeah, of course, if you, you, you know, if road trip's not your thing and you're, you're not, you know, confident driving in, in other countries or you'd rather just sit back and chill on a bus, that's another great way to do it as well. You oh, know, yeah. There's the Greyhound, mm -hmm. uh, which is a very popular way to do it. Um, and yeah, you can kind of hop up the bus. You can save time, money on hostels by, you know, not the most glamorous way, but sleeping on buses, you know, there's long stints where there's not much so you can you know you save 30 bucks on a, on a hostel by sleeping on the bus there and doing things like that so mm. um yeah definitely definitely no right or wrong way to do australia um yeah for me personally it was the road tripping route but a yep. lot of other people know um had an incredible time on the bus as well awesome and then in this sort of like part of your travel career if you like what are you thinking because you know australia's coming to an end you can't get a third year unfortunately um, so mm -hmm. the only option for you maybe would be to get the PR, but I think PR in Australia is quite long, it's quite expensive. Um, so what are you thinking next? Because you're going to have to hop to somewhere new. Yeah. So I knew, um, yeah, I'd done, I'd done my travels, you know, I, I, I finished a lot of the East coast. I did end up going into the outback, working in the outback for a while. And, um, yeah, thankfully it, it wasn't the, the, the best job ended up yeah, yeah making a, getting a decent amount of money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Decent, Need to yeah, read the book for that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, well, you can read the book or we can discuss it here. There was some questionable ways of, I won't say earning money, but getting money in the outback. But I knew I wanted to save some money. I knew that for me, there were holes, there were gaps in Southeast Asia that okay. I, I wanted to go back to. I didn't go to Vietnam. Um, and I knew that was somewhere that I really wanted to go to. And this was the time, I, I don't know how long after I did my trip, but the Top Gear episode came out. Of course, where, classic. Uh, where they bought where they bought the motorbike and i was yeah. like i don't even know if i can do that but i want to try mm. so um yeah I, I left australia i booked and i just booked a cheap flight i literally jumped on the sky scanner where can i go that's it's appealing to me flew to jakarta had a few days in jakarta um jumped from there to singapore had a couple of days in singapore and as i walked into singapore checked into my hostel um got chatting to someone that was in the room and lo and behold someone poked their head up from the hostel above me and was like, 
Mark. And it was a buddy of mine that we, we'd spent a bit of time together in Australia. Oh. So I was like, hey, what's up? Good to see you. <laughs> yeah, I, we got chatting. I got chatting about my plans. I was going to do this crazy thing. I think I want to go to Vietnam and buy a bike. And uh, I want to ride it up Vietnam. And I was kind of thinking, yeah, yeah, he's going to say you're crazy. He was like, all right, can I come? I was like, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but I, I, and he, he had some travel plans. There was some stuff he wanted to do. Um, so we arranged to, to do a bit of traveling together, but then to meet in Vietnam in a month. So, um, yeah, we, we actually took the train together from, uh, Singapore all the way up through Malaysia, hit a few spots in Malaysia, like Langkawi, um, mm -hmm. came back up to Thailand. And that's actually where, yeah, he split off to go to like Laos, Cambodia. And I went off to Phuket to do a little bit of Muay Thai training for a month before we met up again in uh, Vietnam. Nice. I think what I liked about the book is you explained explaining about how you've got some money and you're running out and you're thinking right how can I make the next bit of money to go do the next bit of travel and I think I quite like that because the biggest question I get asked about the podcast is when you hear people traveling on your podcast like how how are they doing it money wise yes. and that's a big question because my answer to me is, is I just got a work visa in Australia or New Zealand worked saved and went again but a lot of people do ask that question because they seem it to be like an impossible idea and dream but you do explain that really well in the book I quite like that yeah I mean yeah so to sort of go back to your, your sorry your original question there is yeah what was a uh, what was I sort of thinking what was I planning is was yeah just to, just to hit some of these spots that I was going to and I think I do think at this point in time it was um, it was a bit of a tipping point for me because yeah I was going to go back to Southeast Asia. Um, I, I did my trip in Vietnam, which was phenomenal. Um, the same buddy of mine. This was about a year after buddy of mine that I did the East Coast trip with in Australia had messaged me and said, where are you going to be? Same sort of time. So Christmas, New Year, and I'll come meet you. And I was like, okay, I'm in Southeast Asia. So you pick and I'll, I'll meet you. So I ended up going back to Thailand to, to meet him in Thailand and spend a bit of time there. And it was at this point, yeah, which was a tipping point for me. I was like, I, I'm not sure. Like maybe this is where I go back home. I think I was, yeah, early, early twenties. Um, and yeah, people were starting to, yeah, they'd start to sort of maybe finish university and starting to get jobs. I was like, all right, maybe it's time for me to, to start thinking about that. But at some point, something happened and I made the decision to to think about New Zealand, which um, for me was the way to make some more money. I knew mm -hmm. that I could do I'd done it in Australia. I could get work holiday visa there. And I knew this option was available to me in New Zealand as well. So, yeah, during that trip in Bangkok with a buddy of mine, uh, yeah, he flew out from, from England with like five, six, seven kilograms of luggage. And he's only on a couple of weeks off from work. And I, I remember we were sitting in Bangkok a few days before he was due to fly home, having a beer. I think he said, yeah, this was a sick trip. Let's do the same thing next year. Um, and I was like, well, rather than going home, saving up a load of money to come and meet me, why don't you just come with me? I need to work. You want to work. Let's go to New Zealand together. Mm. So few beers later and um <laughs> we, we I convinced him to to quit his job pretty much on the spot he emailed his boss told him he wasn't coming home told his mom to sell his car and um that was it we we he didn't take his flight home and he came to New Zealand with me wow and what a place to go I mean I do wax lyrical about New Zealand lived there for a year went there before that as well on the Q experience for for a good fun time it is a magical place to go isn't it and it's a definite oh. must on anyone's list yeah, yeah, it, it completely uh, holds a special spot in my heart. I think a lot of people do possibly go to Australia and they fall in love with Australia. And I will admit, um, I hope no one from New Zealand is listening, but I kind of saw it as a backup. I was like, oh, it's, you know. Oh, yeah, same. Uh, yeah. 
I have to go to New Zealand because I'm done in Australia. And then got to New Zealand and just immediately fell in love with it, probably even more than, than Australia. What a place, what a country, what a bunch of people out there. The Kiwis are probably the, the funniest people, the most welcoming people I've ever met. Um, yeah, I lived with an incredible bunch of Maori dudes that um, yeah, were raft guides and just the, the best time with them. So, um, yeah, I, it was kind of starting from scratch again. Got to got to New Zealand and um, thankfully... Well, actually, because I'd spent so long in Southeast Asia, I had to um, I had to go and get a chest X-ray for my my visa uh, for New Zealand. I had to prove yeah. that I didn't have uh, TB. But to do that, you only you can only do it through specific doctors that are approved by the New Zealand government. Got One it. of them was in Sydney, so we ended up going back to Sydney and waiting there for nearly a month while I had my chest X-ray, which was quite expensive, um, coming off the back of a, a few months Southeast Asia trip. Um, yeah, just kind of hanging around in Sydney, not being able to work because I was now on a tourist visa um, was a little bit a little bit tricky and um, yeah, annoying. I was checking my emails every couple of hours for <laughs> weeks for this visa to come through, um, but eventually came through and yeah, off, off we popped to New Zealand. But thankfully during that time, I'd spent a bit of time in Sydney and I'd gone into a, a backpacker travel agency that were hiring staff in New Zealand. So right. at this point, I had luckily already already lined myself a job up for when I got there, which was a, a huge help because uh, James, I'll tell you, I was broke again. <laughs> and that is a slightly running theme in the book. That's not a bad thing. Yeah. It's just a, it's a classic. Sometimes people just do as much as they can and then they get a job again. I mean, I've been there plenty of times where I've just got no money and you have to start again. It does get stressful, yeah. but it is worth it. And what I found great in the book about New Zealand portion, what you're saying is that this job enabled you to do all these amazing activities like skydiving, canyon swings, bungee jumps, and you're helping travelers too. It sounded like the perfect job for you. Oh yeah, it was phenomenal. Yeah, I actually... um yeah, I, I worked for the company both on my first year in, in New Zealand so when I first got there and when I went back only a couple of years ago um, just then. But it, it was it was a great, a great little job to to start with. Yeah, was, uh, I remember on my uh, yeah, my first day going there and there was a lot of training um, to go through. And yeah, my boss was like, oh, just yeah, shoot out and go get yourself a notebook so you can, you know, take notes down. And I didn't have a dollar to my name to go and buy a notebook. I was so embarrassed. I, I didn't tell her um i ran back to my hostel and just begged someone in the room to lend me a couple of bucks so i could come yeah. back because i was too embarrassed to tell them <laughs> like and uh, yeah it's it was uh yeah definitely character building but yeah the job was great the job was pretty great i ended up my, a friend of mine the guy that came with me um worked for the same company but we ended up working in separate branches so he stayed in auckland and i moved down to rotorua which is yeah a few hours south um from auckland in the the middle of the the north island which is uh, an incredible place there as well which was amazing and very lucky to um a part of my job was to yeah encourage travelers and helping travelers to book um their trips which was which was amazing so guys that were coming through um wanting advice on new zealand they want to get stuff booked and and i was able to do that for them and perks of the job was to be able to do that a lot of the activities in my free time which um yeah saved me a hell of a lot of money yeah because i think if you read the book and you realize the cost of these activities you'd be thinking how the hell could you do that activity that many times but like like i said with your job you could do that and that's one of the big bonuses of it but i guess in reality i mean i done one skydive because that's in Taupo and that's because it's expensive you know like <laughs> there's no two ways about it they're like one-off things really yeah yeah absolutely yeah probably not things that you're doing every every day but people thinking of going to New Zealand then yeah again well yeah once you get there the, the pay is kind of more reflected um it, it's it's 
pretty decent in New Zealand. So you can you can you can mm. save a little bit of money there. It's not fantastic. It's still an expensive place, but um, I think New Zealand possibly a bit more than Australia is a place where people go with a bit more savings and they they do their trip like like with a Kiwi experience or something. And you can yes, but yeah. pretty decent sort of like hop on hop off buses and then packages as you go. And you can pick and choose what you want to do. You know, not everyone's going to want to go to Hobbiton and and go see the Lord of the Rings set, but a lot of people <laughs> will do. So you can kind of custom build your own um your own trip in, in that sense as well yeah i did go to hobbiton with my partner emma and i had no idea what's going on and i told a few people that they're shocked yeah. that i have no idea what hobbiton is i'm like mate i still don't <laughs> um but I, i've been there and i had a had a pint <laughs> had a pint in the pub so yeah i completed it <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> i think new zealand for me first impression because i traveled there then worked there later but like you i just couldn't believe what i was seeing i think on the bus on the queue experience yeah there was the parties uh there was the drinking but on the bus looking where we're going i just could not believe uh what i've seen this place it's just especially when oh, you yeah. get to south island it's like wow different level unreal yeah everything is everything's postcard worthy like everywhere yeah. you go you feel like you're gonna have to drive to these places to see these views but they are just everywhere like there's so much to look at mm. um so which way like doing one of those buses is a great option so you can really take it in um and, and watch the world go by um while, while you're sort of cruising around and yeah just the landscape of of new zealand is is unreal really gorgeous probably yeah one of the most gorgeous places i've been yeah and camping as well on a camper van even better oh 100 yeah again if you're into your road trips uh like myself then a beautiful island to to go and road trip um yeah if you get yourself a camper van that's um self-contained then you you can pretty much freedom camp in, in quite a few places for free um which is which is a great budget friendly way to to go and travel new zealand so yeah if you're looking at doing that spend a little bit more for the self-contained camper van and you'll save a little bit of money later on yeah my biggest tip for free camping because i worked in a ministry in wellington for my job there and I was sort of working alongside the tourism ministry. And there's so many letters coming through from residents saying they're fed up with wild camping because people leave rubbish about. Biggest advice here is probably to go as far away as possible into the into the nature, if you like. Because if you're near someone who's kind of like a bit annoyed, they're going to write in or even report you. That's what I found when I was reading the uh, the complaints to the to minister. That's quite interesting. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, yeah being respectful of where you're at and hopefully everyone does the same thing but yeah if you can get out um yeah sort of middle of nowhere you're not going to have any problems camping around there and i think you mentioned in your book about going back uh, to new zealand is this the bunak visa that you got it is yeah yeah what so, is that um, i mean i looked into it briefly but can you tell people maybe what that is yeah so it's it's actually yeah it's a little known visa that not not too many people are aware of and again it was kind of one of those ones that was like friend of a friend told me about it and I was like okay I keep talking mm. and like kind of those one of those um urban legends but <laughs> yeah. for the best of my knowledge basically the the company I forget what it stands for but they help um arrange kind of like gap year travel stuff and and they do help arrange visas for people so if you like I did um because I, I I believe don't quote me on it that if you do work in holiday visa in uh, New Zealand you're supposed to do it consecutively to do the second year um which I didn't do I actually ended up cutting my first year visa a little bit short because I yeah. got a job elsewhere yeah. um so yeah I left it um and it left quite suddenly because this incredible job opportunity came up so yeah I kind of left New Zealand with some things that I wanted to do you know like the um the Nevis bungee jump had evaded me so I know oh. I wanted to 
back and uh, yeah. as much as it terrified me I wanted to do it so yeah when the time came and um yeah it was just a time in my life to to go back to New Zealand I, I looked into the BUNAC visa so it it does allow you I believe it's mostly for people from from the from the UK and Ireland they have an agreement um I'd imagine possibly other people in the Commonwealth as well but an agreement with the with the, the New Zealand government that people that are um have already done a working holiday visa can get one or it slightly extends the age as well so I think up to I believe up to 35 years old yes yeah yes right there's a yeah. weird quirk in there that i think if you've done the work visa you've only done a year you can then get a bunak visa uh which costs a little bit more money but it's an extra year to go and work and live in new zealand so it's a great scheme if you can get onto it yeah absolutely it was um yeah it was the one time in my life where i started to get a little bit worried because to get the visa you have to it's about i think about 600 quid so a little bit pricier yeah um that bit i wasn't too concerned about but what i was concerned about is you have to go back to the uk and submit your passport for up to three months um so oh. the first time in my since i was 19 years old i was heading back to the uk through reluctantly to to go and get this visa and um yeah i i spent uh actually not too long in the uk it's up to three months so yeah, um, yeah i stayed at home i found a little bit of cash and handwork but i was ready to leave at the drop of a hat my visa ended up coming back in about four weeks which was fantastic nice and um, yeah the second it came through my passport came back yeah i booked a trip to nicaragua and just got straight out of there um <laughs> and then did a little bit of travel around that way and then um I, shortly after that moved back to my to new zealand for my second year okay and there's so much to unpack in the book people got to read it but the next thing i want to talk about is you did start to get a job in southeast asia working as a guide so can you talk us through about how you found that job what it was and where was it yeah absolutely so yeah when i was in new zealand and i, I was working for this uh the backpacker sort of travel agency some of the trips one of the trips that we sold was a trip in uh in thailand and um yeah it was, it was a very slow day at work and i was researching the company and um saw that they were hiring like group leaders to to come out and work in southeast asia in thailand at the time and um i'd actually met someone from the company that come in to do a little bit of training on us so if people were interested in going to thailand i'd be able to sort of like big the trip up a little bit more and I was like wow this this sounds like something like I could do um I was definitely a lot more confident a lot more of a social person at this time and mm. um my knowledge of Thailand was pretty good I'd spent a, a fair bit of time there at this point and I was like you know I think I think I could do this so yeah I just um it was as simple as just applying for the job I I, I sent in my application yeah it's the group leading you don't need to have fantastic grades and things like that it's mm. you know a lot of like sort of based on your personality and your your travel experience and uh yeah i had an interview with with the general manager and yeah i'd, I'd honestly never wanted something more in my life than to, than to get this job and yeah i didn't have my hopes up but things worked out i got invited to fly to thailand for a trial and to see how well i fit in and how well i get on with the job so uh running theme here i spent my last couple of hundred quid on a on a gamble on a flight to thailand i probably didn't have enough for a flight ticket onwards to anywhere else <laughs> um, <laughs> shocker <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I came out, um, I gave it my all and um, yeah, they offered me the job, which is a, uh, an absolute dream job, um, which was group leading tours, groups of first time travelers, um, sometimes experienced travelers, but um, around Thailand. So starting in Bangkok down to Koh Sok National Park and ending on, on Koh Phangan. And what company was that with? 
Um, so that's with Intro Travel, shout out. So still with Intro Now, that's uh, the company I still work for mm. um, eight years down the line. This did sound like an amazing job. <laughs> like you are taking travelers on their trip. There's a bit of responsibility for you to make sure to have a great time and you're getting stuck in and making sure everyone's okay. And you do describe in detail about what a job does to you on the good side, but also on the bad side. You know, it takes it out of you long hours. Um, sometimes mm -hmm. you need a break, but it's good to see both sides, I think, in the book. Yeah, yeah. I've always tried to be um, yeah, realistic in the 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 views uh, with it, like hands down, um, best job that I've ever had or ever will have was was leading those tours and meeting people, um, being able to share my knowledge and my passion for the country um with, with other people and make them fall in love with the place like I did. And to be a part of people's sort of travel journeys, it was the most rewarding job I'd ever done. Being able to um yeah share and, and the awesome parts of the country um really is, is the dream. Yeah like ultimately for a lot of people a lot of travelers being being paid to travel is is the kind of ultimate goal which is um yeah which was unreal and something that kind of yeah came out of nowhere I suppose and yeah being able to share my my passion for the country and being able to um guide people on a small part of their travel journey was yeah, incredibly rewarding yeah helping people through all those sort of the, those struggles that maybe I started with um when I first came away you know people that are a little bit shy um helping to bring them out of their shell getting them to introduce themselves to, to new people helping to take care of them and just giving them a little bit of a a helping hand with the start of their travel journey if that's the part that they're on was was awesome and um yeah a million positives to the job and yeah incredibly draining incredibly social uh as you know like when yeah when you travel and you travel a lot it can be exhausting to meet new people all the time and kind of have those same conversations the same questions that come up where are you from where are you going where you've been yeah. um like all that kind of stuff so yeah very very tiring but uh, incredibly rewarding at the same time so absolutely fell in love with group leading yeah i was gonna say i think the dream is for travelers who want to travel for a long period of time is to try and find that pay to travel thing whatever that is could be digital nomading could be working remotely on a job or could be doing what you were doing i think that's what everyone's trying to find out if you want to have that lifestyle um, my question actually next was going to be for a travel guide, if someone wants to be in that sort of role and job, what are some of the key traits that are definitely must needs? The answer that probably most people think I'm going to say is not particularly what we're looking for or it is. So the majority of people, so part of my my role now and part of what I do is I, I do train and recruit the group leaders. I train okay. and recruit people come out yeah. and I train them how to be group leaders and how to run trips and I'm involved in that process so um yeah I get a lot of applications come through and I look over them and um people aren't wrong in saying that you know I'm a I'm an outgoing charismatic people person that loves to travel and um yeah I'm very social yeah yeah like the, the you know all the traits that of course we're looking for but the reality is what we, we definitely want is someone that is really quite responsible. There's a huge amount mm. of responsibility to come out on a trip, traveling with a group of 22, um, sometimes younger and inexperienced or sometimes older and experienced uh, people on a trip. Um, but the priority is 
and has always been will be will be safety um it's keeping people safe on a trip really yes of course we want to give people an incredible time but um the reality is and you know some of the countries we operate in um people come away to yeah certain places and um throw their inhibitions to the wind they're on holiday you're a holiday mode and you, you don't realize some of the dangers there so um yeah definitely people that are are responsible people that are looking to work hard as well you know it's it from the outside it, it definitely does look like you know you spend your days on the beach and um you're taking people to temples and you're you're hiking volcanoes in bali and you're going to look at dolphins and snorkeling with turtles and we take people out for dinner and drinks and that's great and that is the 10 to 20 percent that you uh-huh. see um, a group leader doing you yeah. you actually see 80 percent of preparing for the group organizing pickups from the airport planning um the the meals and activities and the admin the expenses the accommodation sheets the um the the dramas that come with running a trip with 22 people on them people get people get sick people get ill people um are very different type of travelers as well and we we accommodate for everyone that comes on the trip and make sure everyone has an equally good time so um it is very draining on, on your energy as well so sure. yeah that that kind of correlates with another travel guide that i spoke to about the same thing about you do have fun but the the admin behind the scenes trying to make sure everyone's okay it's just a bit um is responsible behavior you need to like be on your feet figure out problems and stuff like that so it is good to hear because i think you need to hear that if you want to go into that sort of industry yeah, absolutely. Yeah, people um people come out, they they want to have a great trip. And um, yeah, it's not just based on having a great itinerary, it's it's all inclusive of that. You know, people want to feel safe and secure and have someone that they can rely on if things uh do go wrong. So um yeah, being able to think on your feet. Um, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. if you, you've done a, a fair bit of solo uh traveling and uh backpacking on your own, then you're 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 adaptable in the situations when when things do inevitably go wrong and things do, even on the most well-planned trips, there's things outside of your control. <laughs> um, Lord knows we've seen them all. We've seen uh trains break down, we've had uh volcanoes erupt, we've had uh natural weather disasters and uh, um a million one things, yeah, ferries getting missed, and you got 22 people uh um staring at you wondering what's going on and yeah they're the more extreme ones um the the, the more annoying ones are ones like yeah you, you wake your group up to climb a volcano at two o'clock in the morning and you get there and the the, the weather's awful and you can't see <laughs> <Yeah>. a sunrise <laughs> guess, and uh guess whose fault that is it's it's your fault everyone's gonna, everyone's gonna blame you for the weather. um yeah everyone's looking at you like i can't believe you dragged me out of bed to, to look at a cloudy morning um, that I could have seen uh, back home. But um, yeah, it's all fun and games, man. You just got to be positive about it all. Yeah, that's great to hear. That's awesome. And I, I think in the book, you then go on to, you're doing this job, you're loving it. And then obviously if people read the book, they start to realize a character comes into their into your life, which is quite important. Um, you call Taylor in the book. I'm not sure if that's her real name, real life. But then you start to sort of go on this journey for about quite a long time, actually, quite a few years where you're hopping across the USA quite a bit, going to, back to New Zealand, I think, as well. Uh, trying to sort of work out life from that perspective and maybe a a slight shift from maybe the carefree uh, hedonistic uh, single travel days where you can just kind of do and go where you want yeah absolutely I mean um, yeah it's it's, it was uh, yeah my first time writing a book and um, yeah that was that's a huge part of my life and it's it was for me um, I hope shows a journey of growth as well um, from the Mm. yeah the, the 
young, kind of happy-go-lucky, maybe even sort of Jack the Laddie guy that I was to um, maturing along the way. So, um, yeah, I tried my best to convey it in the book and hopefully it comes across. But, yeah, she was, uh, yeah, definitely a big a big part of that. I met her in Southeast Asia and we we had uh, an epic um, an epic love story, really, from uh, multiple, <laughs> multiple corners of the world um, and the struggles that, that came with that. You know, you, you meet people away, you meet people on the road from places that aren't from where you're from and you start to get bogged down by um legal red tape and visas and um you know the, the need to, to have to go away and work and um yeah before you know it you're in this uh committed long distance relationship from from across the world and and that in itself was was an incredible adventure trying to make that work you know like we we did utilize as many visas as possible that's why i went back to new zealand and um yeah spent a bit of time in southeast asia moved out to the states for a little while and um spent a bit of time in new jersey uh right up until yeah hopping around to yeah back to new zealand then we were supposed to head back to asia together which is uh when uh, yeah i landed in in asia about five days before covid shut everything down and, and we inevitably got separated again because she was due to fly out a few days after me and um that was it she couldn't come to me I couldn't go back to her. So before we knew it, um, I was I was living in Thailand and she moved out to L.A. Yeah, I think alongside the story, quite cool as well. You're doing all these amazing trips. Like you're going to all these countries, um, like alongside the actual love story as well. You're, you're going to like Central America and Europe, I think, as well. And, and Middle East, I think, is in there as well. So you started to like see more of the world alongside, obviously, this other story going on as well. So that's quite interesting. Right up until, like you say, COVID was a... Uh, was a bit of a curveball but yeah you started to kind of dip around different parts of the world too yeah that definitely i started to I'd, I'd spent a fair chunk in yeah sort of like australasia way and then yeah um yeah started, i started to feel like yeah like comfortable and very at home which yeah you want to push yourself and challenge challenge yourself a lot so yeah i spent a little bit of time in in europe doing some travels there and then um started looking more towards yeah central america and that's yeah a bit of time in yeah sort of costa rica and then inevitably moving out to uh actually moving out to the states and and uh, trying to live out there for a while and how was living in the states because you were there on a tourist visa cash and hand jobs i don't want to give the story away too much people need to read the book but it was an interesting time wasn't it because you couldn't really do anything legally so that kind of plays a part in how you live yeah it was uh it was it was stressful it's not a route that yeah I'd, I'd, I'd recommend to everyone just circumstance really that it came about and almost through necessity um i think at this point in my travel career if you will i've become very um yeah adept at just adapting to whatever situations and just figuring it out like I just tend to figure it out and no, no matter how that is every time i felt like my back was against the wall i'd kind of just um you know kind of find myself a little loophole or find myself a way of making things work in my favor by yes often bending rules shall we say and not necessarily abiding by certain terms of of visas and things like that but um yeah for 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 a while it worked out very well in my favor and yeah yeah I, uh, um yeah spent spent some time back in in southeast asia through the majority of um of covid without work and then um yeah i was like okay let's let's move out to the states and and see what's happening over there how did you find covid because obviously that would have been that's quite hard for me but for you that obviously would have been a bit of a curveball as for most people but i think if you travel a lot that's an extra curveball isn't it to be honest i i, I feel like i i, I avoided 
the majority of it to an extent. I didn't have the same experience. I don't think I, I'll ever fully understand what the rest of the world went through. Of course, I experienced a lot of the same things in um, being bound to one place and restrictions um, being put in place. But it's a pretty kind of self-contained island here. Like I'm on a pretty small island. Mm. So yeah, I was I was down in I was in Copenhagen, work shut down, not a good industry to be working in at the time. I just got back into travel and tourism, um, packed up my life in New Zealand to start another life back with with intro again in um in the in thailand and before i knew it everything was taken away from me again so i was kind of back to square one so yeah like thankfully we have a gorgeous bungalow um property on the beach which is where i spent most of my time for a lot of people who possibly could have been a bit of a dream come true i, I lived out my thatched bungalow on the beach in thailand dream i felt like i was uh dicaprio in the beach to be honest <laughs> nowhere near as good looking um and um yeah it, it was it was not too bad it was very it was sad to see the businesses struggling and the local people struggling sure. friends of mine struggling and um doing what we can to support them going to eat at, at local restaurants and things like that um mm. yeah we had we had certain restrictions in place and people were it was it was still a scary time because of course yeah i was i was away from home worried about friends and family and um it was it was the time i did actually book a flight back to the uk because i wasn't really sure what to do and um yeah i i, I was unemployed it, i didn't didn't really have a job going and um we didn't know how long it was going to last so wasn't really sure what to do but um again i said I, I can i can be pretty resourceful when i need to so i ended up you know i, I think a lot of it does come down to attitude and just mm. I opened myself up to opportunity. So I ended up finding a bit of online work that was, you know, it, it paid the bills and uh, it kept me busy. You know, I, I struggled with the, maybe perhaps more like the the mental side of things as well, of, of trying to keep myself um, active and, and busy. And um, yeah, I'd, I'd basically just been separated from, from my girlfriend of uh, four or five years um, through no fault of our own, um, come here lost my job so yeah i was on on a beautiful tropical island and the sun was shining and things were great but it, it it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows um by a long shot but i was i am and will always be very grateful to to have been lucky enough to be here on the island um throughout that period nice and before we talk a little bit about where you are now and what's in the future plans of your travels and the company you work for uh, I've got some just like not quick fire travel questions, but like just what I normally ask people. So mm -hmm. from from your travels that you've been on, do you normally have like a travel philosophy or a purpose? And what I mean by that is, do you try to travel in a certain way? Do you try and experience a certain thing? Like when you go traveling, is there a certain thing in your mind that you're trying to achieve? I'm probably not, to be honest. Um, I, every time I've done, because yeah, I've taken various different trips. Normally it's, it's, it's just out to um yeah go and experience something that i haven't experienced before try to go to um see something that i haven't been before um sort of something that i haven't seen and yeah often i will have a yeah a destination in mind and maybe something mm. that i do want to see or do there but um no when, when i get there i, I kind of see what happens I, I definitely open myself up to the more unique encounters along the way and some of the best things that i've, I've 
been lucky enough to do and some of my favorite memories that I've made through traveling are the ones that you'll never be able to to recreate one time in Turkey one of my favorite memories was uh yeah I'd rented a car with uh with Taylor and we um yeah we went to we started in Istanbul and, and kind of fell in love and like okay let's let's rent a car and drive and we just kind of got lost and we ended up I don't know down this dirt road and pulled up alongside a a river and there was there was a Turkish family sat there having a picnic and um I just kind of sidled over and sort of said hello and before we knew it we were sat having a barbecue with them they spoke next to no English and but you know we were somehow communicating with them and we spent um the best part of the afternoon sat they were sharing their food with us and conversing as best as we can even though we really only shared a few words in common but um they're I guess kind of what I look for when I go but they're not anything you can ever really find it just kind of things that you happen across. I think you can open yourself up to them um, if yeah. you're if you look for them, the the experiences. Um, but yeah, definitely not anything that you can ever um, force to happen or really recreate. You need spontaneity for that. I think you need to be uh, probably not having too much of a plan to go somewhere next and let those things happen. I think that's a pretty cool way to travel. But I guess a lot of people can't do that because maybe the time constraints or there's money constraints and stuff like that yeah absolutely yeah it can be a bit trickier like yeah of course uh i, I fully get it yeah, if you've got uh x amount of time to go to a place and there's definitely things and, and things you want to do along the way um then yeah you do need to plan your 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 time and, and spend it wisely so it can be a little bit trickier to find those unique experiences along the way but um you know they'll be there sometimes it doesn't have to be in the middle of nowhere by a river it can it can be at a coffee shop or a restaurant and and um you know i had a, another similar experience in istanbul and i still have a good friend of mine there that owns a, a, a cafe that yeah he was a, he was a, a waiter and we just got chatting to him and he invited us out for for just um from tea and shisha and i remember sitting with him till four or five o'clock in the morning drinking tea and playing backgammon so sometimes huh. you don't have to go far to experience it yeah if you're looking for the place it's called uh harabe um in in istanbul incredible guy called emra and um just the nicest guy you've ever met Turkish hospitality, by the way, second to none. Unreal. Yeah, absolutely unreal. We both have traveled pre-smartphones. So my next question was going to be, how has travel changed, do you think, from maybe your early days to what it is now? I'm not talking about you, but maybe more, have you seen people as a whole change the way they travel or even places maybe? Yeah, absolutely. I think that people are drawn more towards destinations maybe we showing my age now but yes i feel like you know not necessarily for the better people were perhaps drawn to places for sometimes a certain photograph or some footage or content that they that they that, that they want to get and uh that that's the reality of it and i'm um, i'm not saying there's anything wrong with that um absolutely it, it's a great way to to explore new to new new places you know the technology that that people have available to them now and um yeah there's certainly see certainly some things that I probably would have missed in in my travels if it hadn't been for the the technology that we have now so it can definitely be used for um a positive those those connections that that you would make along the way and friends that I would have met that you know phone numbers that I, I definitely would have lost or they move away from Australia and they they no longer have that phone number now there's multiple means of communication so um it, it, it's it's a nicer way to stay in contact with people it does make the world a bit of a smaller place but in a good way as well because uh yeah you can you can meet up with people um from travels years down the line so um definitely some positives to it as well and you mentioned that in the book actually about travelers meeting each other for could be one day, could be two weeks. 
and then you sort of you sort of filter to another place that you're going or back to real life and you sometimes and probably inevitably never actually get, actually see them again but you share so much in that short period of time that's quite a key yeah. point i think for long-term travel yeah yeah absolutely yeah you you have these friends and you can share the, the most incredible days week maybe at times of them yeah. and in that time you're you're your best buds and um yeah you've experienced the most incredible things together and then sometimes there's there's beauty in that yes. small relationship just being left the way that it was and you've shared that moment in time and you go your separate ways and you're not going to see him again but that's yeah. always going to be you know like that it, there is definitely some beauty to that as well yeah i think i said that to someone late last year but there is a beauty of that leaving that as it is even though you sort of sometimes harp back to maybe like oh i wish i could have that that week in Thailand again, or whatever it is, sometimes you should probably just leave it as is and not try and recreate yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, just left it um, as a perfect little time. So, yeah. Okay. And just right now, uh, I've got a couple of questions here short term plans. So, you're on Copenhagen right now. Um, yes. What, what are you thinking in the next like few months? Are you just going to stay there, keep working, or is there any more travels coming up? Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's crazy busy for us, man. Like the um, yeah, tra I mean, travels come back stronger than it has been. We're busier than we've ever been. Um, trips full. Um, we're adding. Um, we've we recently added a few new countries last year. So um, yeah, it's been pretty full on. Working pretty hard um this year, but I keep saying it. Um, I need to book a trip soon. So um, <laughs> need to uh, yeah, I need to get my holiday request in. I'm thinking May. Um, yep. so it's coming up pretty quick. I do have some friends coming over um to Thailand soon. Friend of mine that um yeah came to um that the guy that came to New Zealand with me um worked in the the backpack the travel agency. That's where he met his wife. Um, and they're now coming to Thailand in a month with their newborn baby. So um nice. that'll be a nice kind of um yeah like uh, that that'll be really cool to see them here. So I'll catch up with them. And then I'm thinking uh, I've been looking at trips in potentially like a democratic republic of congo um there's um a very interesting awesome, <laughs> yeah but, um, i've had in my head for a while i really want to go and see the uh the lowland gorillas um yeah. and they're in that area maybe like uganda um so i've seen this it's like a 13 day hike you can do so i'm toying with the idea of that it's definitely on the pricier side of any of the trips that i've ever done um but i'm definitely setting my sights on somewhere in africa um we do have an awesome trip um with intro in south africa that um i, I potentially would love to go and see and, and go to south africa as well so um yeah we'll see how adventurous i'm feeling if i want to go get lost in the jungle for a couple of weeks or um i'll, I'll do something a, a little bit like less intense and potentially somewhere like um south africa so um yeah that's that's on the viewpoint for the the next couple of months for sure and sort of medium term stick it out in Thailand and keep going. Yeah, I'm uh yeah, I'm pretty uh pretty much settled here now. I feel for the first time in a long time, uh yeah, settled. It Yang definitely feels like home. I do get the the beauty of still getting to travel with my job from time to time. So yeah, mm. just got back from a trip in Vietnam. Um, I don't have too much more on the cards at the moment, um, other than yeah, maybe I'll definitely be on Bangkok in a couple of weeks and um possibly heading over to maybe over to Bali you know, within the next couple of months as well. That's probably more for um, work than um, than leisure. But of course, they kind of merge a little bit in the, the industry that we're in. So 
Um, yeah, possibly Bali. Yeah, that that's it for the time being. Things crop up from time to time. Um, the yeah, opportunities arise and everything kind of happens last minute. But yeah, other than Bangkok in a few weeks, I'm actually at one of those stages where I don't have too much uh, too much planned. So oh. uh, yeah, it's quite nice to to enjoy Koh Phangan Yang, um, get back into back into my Muay Thai and, and just enjoy island life for a little while. Nice. Okay. And where can people find your book? Where can they buy it? Um, and where can they find you? on website or social media um so at the moment the book is solely on amazon.co.uk.com so one-way ticket mark phipps um you can grab it on there um i'm not the most tech savvy guy but i'm looking at a way to upload it onto my uh website that i have lost in paradise travel.co.uk um so yeah i'll look at people being able to buy it directly from there as well um which would be pretty awesome um to get it on there um so yeah good ways to get in touch with me there the like um i'm pretty open with my instagram mj phipps 1990 contact me through there and get you um things organized as well um if people are into like book reviewing and things like that i've definitely been very open to, to i love to send people um copies of the book if they're happy to leave reviews and um things like that so um yeah absolutely reach out to me and um yeah i'm happy to to share it really um yeah i like people to hopefully take some inspiration from it and people to, to want to travel that's what what the book was really all about for me is is uh yeah putting a bit of that out there and seeing that yeah no uh the lad from the the council state in kent can can end up living and working in, in thailand if that's what you really want to do yeah i thoroughly enjoyed it I uh, love reading it. It's a very easy read. So um, I would highly recommend people to go and buy that, uh, read it and leave a review. And also I'll put some links in the show notes so people can find you uh, across all social networks. Fantastic. Yeah, that'd be, uh, that'd be incredible. Yeah, that uh, sounds perfect. Okay, we're going to finish uh, the episode. Just some quick fire travel questions. I normally make these up as I go. And they're going to be normally your favorite things that you've experienced on your travels, which would be quite cool to hear. So I'm going to kick off with the question... Hey yeah, just a quick one. I just want to say there are many ways to support this podcast. You can buy me a coffee and help support the podcast with $5. Or you can go to my merch store with the affiliate link with TeePublic, where there's plenty of merch available to buy, such as t-shirts, jumpers, hoodies, and also some children's clothing. Thirdly, which is free, you can also rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, or Good Pods. Also, you can find me on social media on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. Simply just search for Winging It Travel Podcast, and you'll find me displaying all my social media content for traveling, podcasts, and other stuff. Thank you. It's travel question time. Your three favorite countries that you travel to Jordan, Sri Lanka, Indonesia. Okay, and three countries that you've not traveled to that's on your hit list. Ooh, uh, Japan, actually, is up there. I, yeah. I surprised myself with Japan, but I definitely fancy a bit of Japan. Um, South Africa, and I would love to get to Canada later this year, actually, as well. Nice. Okay, and three favorite cuisines internationally? Oh, Thai all day. Can't go wrong with Thai. Yeah. Um, Italian uh, is is pretty a bit of a classic for everyone that did go to Italy last year, and um, actually Indonesian Indonesian is underrated. Okay, and if you could drink a coffee any city in the world and watch the world go by, where, where are you going to sit? Man, I'm going to Istanbul. Honestly, oh, yeah. if I'm drinking, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. You sit up top. Um, there's a there's some really cool little rooftop bars looking over the Hagia Sophia. Yeah, 
drinking that really strong Turkish coffee um, and just watching the world go by. I've spent multiple nights doing that. It's unreal. Okay. And what about a favorite hike that you've done? Ooh, um, I am a fan of the, uh, the the Hollywood Hills hike is is pretty cool, oh. man. Like, um, okay. yeah, Hollywood Hills are like, it's, it's sort of about like, I don't know, growing up in the UK, you've seen the Hollywood sign and in all the movies and like i found myself living in la and i could hike to the hollywood sign it never got old like it was super surreal so i'm a big fan of the hollywood hills hike okay that's interesting and what about a favorite landmark uh can be man-made or nature oh um yeah probably petra petra in jordan oh what a place okay awesome breathtaking if you could live in a country that you've not lived in before for a year where would you live I think I th- you know I think I I think I could settle down in Canada for a little while. Yeah, dream place. <laughs> well, yeah, decent place. Yeah, yeah, mountains, snow. They got some good stuff in the summer. I could see Canada happening absolutely. Okay, awesome. And to finish the episode, if you could give a few sentences as to why someone should go and travel, get out of the comfort zone, and make that leap, why should they go? Um, yeah, I mean, really, it, it can change the the course of your life. There's so much more out there to see and to explore. It's going to fill you with um, the confidence to um, excel in, in any part of your life, that the skills that you learn from going away and traveling are skills that you, you're not really going to pick up anywhere else, you know. Um, yeah, go to college, go to university, it's all good. But um, yeah, going and learning just about life from going and living it is 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 applicable to, to every area of your life. Mark, thanks so much for the conversation. I've learned a lot. Thanks for bearing with me because my signal is not brilliant, but it's been a great chat and I've learned a lot. Thank you. Beautiful, man. No, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been a, a, an incredible conversation. I really appreciate it. Cheers, dude. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Take it easy. Thank you for listening to my Winging It Travel podcast episode today. You can find me on Instagram at James Hammond Travel or Winging It Travel Podcast. You can search for both. I release weekly clips of this podcast episode, as well as photos from the last eight to ten years of my travels. You can also follow me on TikTok, Facebook and Pinterest by searching Winging It Travel Podcast. I do release daily content to do with travel and the podcast throughout the week. Also check out my website, jameshammond.org. There's content about myself, my travels And there's also a newsletter sign up as well as a contact form. Finally, please rate and review the podcast on Podchaser. This is my platform of choice. Alternatively, you can rate this on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts from. This really helps the podcast gain a bit of traction for the future in terms of guests and content. And I'm glad to see that you guys are listening out there, reviewing it and enjoying the content so far. Stay safe. Stay humble. Keep listening. Keep traveling. And I'll catch you soon. Cheers, James.